as you can tell, it's just a little bit different. Um, we've actually got a panel of amazing wahine toa, um, women of God who in, well, we're all over the place in yeah. our ages and stages of sharing life. Sharing their pearls of wisdom yeah. this morning. Oh, yeah. this, you're wondering why there's she pearls on the table? So what was it again? <laughs> pearls of wisdom and bags of knowledge. There you go. There was a theme behind that. Anyway, (laughs) um, let's get into the nitty-gritty because, honestly, last service was amazing. It was good. So they're ready for you, hopefully, because, you know, it's the second service. (laughs) We're doing it again. (laughs) So I'd like to call up Lois McGregor. Come Come on, on, Lois. (laughs) Kimberly McGregor. Woo! Yeah, you kind of got those last names. Yeah, they're the same. Marie D'Souza. Woo! <laughs> and Kathy Anso. Come on, Kathy. Come on up. She's coming around. There we go. All right, and you've also got myself and Michelle in the panel as well, or on the panel. Where do we start off? Okay, as I said, this morning's first service was raw, it was real, it was vulnerable, and there was definitely pearls of wisdom in there. And, it, and what you hear this morning is going to break down some walls, take off some masks, and it might sort of hit you in the heart a little bit, male or female, you're going to hear something that resonates with you this morning. So we thank you ladies for coming on the panel this morning and sharing your lives with us. So let's start with a bit of a generic question to make it nice and easy to start with. Um, Lois, we'll start with you. What was one of your fears of becoming a mother and how did you overcome it? I didn't have any fears uh, really becoming a mother. Uh, It was more, it sort of almost just um, fell into being. Um, I listen sometimes to people who they plan everything. You know, I still remember Ashley, our second eldest, she had this great plan for her life. And at this age, she was going to do this, then she was going to be a designer, then she was going to get married, then she was going to have a kid. And I'm like, really? You guys actually talk about that sort of thing? And um, Peter and I actually um, got married in 1985, and we decided we'd have three years uh, just for me to finish off my teaching. And then we went down uh, to the South Island on South Island trip. Nothing to do in Invercargill, so we came back pregnant. (laughs) As you do. And, um, and then pretty much from there onwards, it was like finished breastfeeding, fell pregnant, lost a child, fell pregnant, um, finished breastfeeding, fell pregnant, and so it went on until fell pregnant with number five and miscarried. And when I say to, pe- when I say to people, they sort of give me that sort of like weird look, and I'm like, well, yeah, five was just that one bit too much. So, um, yeah, I don't think it was anything to overcome, but it was just, yeah, how it, how it was for us and our life. Nice. Mm. Thank you, Lois. Kimberly. what was one of your fears of becoming a mother? Oh, Kimberly. Oh, was it hit? <laughs> Hi. <laughs> um, so... Uh, Mine was facing the teenage years, just because um, of my history. I was a little bit nervous to go through that with my daughter. Um, How I overcame it was really just 
watching my mum do it all. So she was pretty much my rock. Um, and how she deals with not only us, but all the kids that she deals with at school. Um, and just watching her, she's pretty much been my role model. And I've been trying to um, put that into how I be a mum to my daughter. Um, and I just stay real friendly with her. Um, I try and be open and honest with her as possible so that when we do hit, you know, the hard years, um, that me and Hazel can go through it together as a team rather than her trying to face it alone. So I try, I try and really focus on that with Hazel to be just open and honest, raw. Good, that's how we should be. And that relationship is so important. Marie, what was one of your fears of becoming a mother and how did you overcome it? Um, I'm a bit like Lois. I don't think I had fears about becoming a mother as such. I mean, you know, there's lots of you out there doing it. If you can do it, I can do it. But I was that person. I was that control person. I had it all planned out. I even bought a book, um, Determine the Sex of Your Child. So, um, Note that down, people. But the labour thing, that, you know, that might be, a, I suppose, an element of fear, unknown. Um, and I conquered that, really, I guess, by gaining knowledge. And reading is my thing, so I'd read. I think fear can be based in ignorance, and so helping to overcome ignorance can help overcome that fear. Um, and then, then the journey carries on, and I gave my life to the Lord, and um, the area of my fertility, I also submitted to the Lord. And so we now have six children, and I had a child at 47. So when you submit your life to the Lord, you just don't know the path he has for you, but it, it will be exciting. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Kathy, can you share with us? I don't have any. So I wanted to have kids. Um, if you read on that piece of paper that you're sitting on, it's not the one for the one card, and it's got our stories, and I haven't had kids, and I wanted kids. I came from a big, really loving family, and I was the oldest, and I expected that I'd have that, and I didn't. And um, turning 40 was pretty hard because I thought by then I would, and I didn't. But I've, I'm a high school teacher, and in 32 years, I've taught 2,000 kids. And out of that lot, probably each class, there's about two kids for whom you're a really significant adult, and that makes 100 girls and 50 boys probably for whom... I was an extra loving adult for them. Well done. So, yeah, so like Kathy was saying, there's a piece of paper spread out um, either beside you or you're sitting on it. <laughs> um, those are the biographies, that, or like short bios of each person on this panel uh, this morning. So, you know, it's, it's some things on there, but we want to answer a lot more. So, yeah, um, and I guess going back and staying with Kathy, um, so you've heard she's single, um, not a mum biologically, I was trying to get that word right, um, but of course an amazing mentor, mother figure. Um, so just wanted to ask, when I first met you on, and I think it was a couple of years ago when I asked, because she serves in Power Zone, amazing. But it was Mother's Day, and I went to ask her, hey, leave the kids, we'll get someone else to do it, and you come on in. And she said something very, well, I guess I was shocked. 
She did not like Mother's Day. Would you like to answer that? No, because I, I wanted to be a mum and I wasn't. So, because I've always been single, Valentine's Day sucks, Mother's Day sucks, and the school ball sucks, because those are times when it does that. And the rest of the time, it's much easier to be together, but those days they suck. And on that day, I really love that in this church we line all the mums up, and I love that we honour those people, because three quarters of them um, you know, aren't in front of the rest of us the rest of the time. But it's easy to forget that that's not the only sort of woman there are. And so that's why I deliberately put myself on Mother's Day on the kids' church roster so that I can enjoy being at church without feeling bitter and wanting to cry. But that's so true. And, like, do you have any advice for those that are single? 30-plus years of being an adult, it does, it's, it's easier in some ways being single, but some days it, I still need to dig it into myself that it's fine. So I made this quilt this year because it's still a struggle now. And this one, there's... So in all my quilts, there's a story, and but usually I have to explain it to people and then you can see it. Right. Over here in the teal is a seesaw, right? Seesaw? Over the here is a balloon hanging, up, hanging eye, has no weight on it. Down here, five balls that have got all the weight. Up there, in the, deliberately in the fady, a pair of people on a seesaw. Right, got it? Wave, can see it? Yep. Okay. This is what I'd expected I'd have for a family. This is the dreams I had for a husband particularly, but also for my own family. This is my reality that is all the weight This is the small, multiple relationships God has given me instead that have all the weight. Here are my own siblings. I live with my father because my mum's passed away. I'm his company. I teach all of these children, and I receive love from them as well as being refreshed by loving them. I have a large number of very tight friends that I share specific things with. I have tramping friends, I have shopping friends, I have spiritual friends. So even though those people I don't spend a lot of time with individually on each day, they add up to this. So that's why I'm here. How amazing, because she does, well, we call it T-Vai-Vai. <laughs> but yeah, um, wow. Thank you so much. So yes, okay, put it away. Be careful with it. Yes. Uh, yes. Okay. Wow, we're just picking that up. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Kathy. Okay, we'll go back to another generic question now. Ladies, what is one good thing that has made you really glad of your decision to be become a mum, to mentor children, to become a teacher, to be around children? Uh, Marie, can we start with you? What's one of the best things about it? Um, I think the relationships. Um, love my kids. They love me. And uh, it's been a stretch, really. I, I, I think I probably pictured myself as the two-children two family. And here I am with six. So it's been a stretch. But, it, you know, it's the, the best of times and the worst of times. And... Um, it really has grown me and stretched me, um, but the relationships with my children 
and um, and with Gavin, it's, it changes when you have children, and the relationships with their friends, etc. So yeah, definitely more relationships. Nice, Lois. I guess it's it is it's the ups and downs. It's giving of yourself because once you've got children, you are no longer who you are. You are now Kimberly's mum, Ashley's mum, Hazel's nana, you know? And um, it's about going through the tough times, taking the highs with the lows, and just knowing that what we're needing to do is feed into our children the word of God. That's of utmost importance, bringing them up in the way that we want them to carry on. Mm. Awesome. Thank you, Lois. Kimberly. what's something that you've loved about it? Um, I had Hazel at 18, um, and when I fell pregnant, um, I was looked at as, as not a fit mother because of my age. Um, I didn't... I think no one acknowledged my belly um, throughout my whole pregnancy. So it was really tough. Um, people just avoided the fact that I was pregnant. Um, and so in, within me, I felt like I was a failure. I thought that I could not bring up this baby. Um, I thought that I might not be a good mum or she might turn into what I was when I was younger and I had all these I had all these thoughts and everything and um, but once she came it was like it just kicked in and I just knew how to be a mum and I just knew how to bring her up and I instantly knew how I wanted her how I wanted to mother her how I wanted her to grow so I helped her grow and I've been walking alongside of this little Madam, <laughs> sassy, <laughs> and I, I just couldn't be any more prouder. Like, I actually achieved being a mum. Like, I ended up doing what I wanted to do, and I didn't think I could. And so, proving to myself that I could be a mum was probably the bestest gift. <laughs> That's so good. Kathy, what's a moment where you've had as a mentor to the children that you teach? What's one of those moments that you just go, I know I'm in the right place? Um, one of my friends came into the staff room and she goes, do they call you Auntie Anso? And I go, yes, yeah, some do. And, yeah. That's so cool. Thank you. Oh, all right. Um, this one goes to Marie. So in the bios that you have on your chairs and that, um, she had put down she's a homeschool mum. So the question would be, why did you choose to homeschool? So again, God's just in the picture all the time, really, and I think he's got a great sense of humour. I remember in the early days when I was at Elam, I was at a women's event, standing in the queue and just making polite conversation with the lady in front of me, who was Cathy Brunskill, for those um, who might know her. And I said, oh, what do you do? And she said, oh, I'm a homeschool mum of eight. I just about fell over in the queue. <laughs> and in the back of my head, I thought, oh, that's fine for you, but that'll never be me. <laughs> and here I am, 15 years later, 
a homeschool mum. But I sent my bright um, preschooler off to school and it just didn't really work. And so after a while, I said to Gavin, well, I think perhaps we should do this at home. They said, oh, you could try this at home, you could try that at home. And I said, well, let's try the whole lot at home. <laughs> and so we did. And um, yeah, we've been at it ever since, really. Uh, my, my, most of my kids have had some time at school, but big chunks at home. Hmm. And what advice would you give to those that are thinking about homeschooling? Pray. <laughs> Always pray. Um, talk about it. Talk about it with your spouse, obviously, and um, talk about it with others who have done, uh, done it. I said uh, it doesn't have to be forever. Some people homeschool for a year or so. Lots of people have different reasons for homeschooling. Get along some people who have done it. Um, we initially committed we'll do this for a year and see how it goes and 15 years later we're still going. Yeah. It can become a lifestyle. Oh, we actually, we all choose lifestyles and this is just the one that we've chosen and it, it works for us and we enjoy it. But yeah, pray and talk other people. Mm. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, Michelle, this one is directed to you. Um, again, in the bio, it talks about Michelle having a blended family so what are some highs and lows you have encountered as a blended family? Mm, now we're going to get real. <laughs> um, to be honest, when I, I was talking with Matt about this, and I was like, wow, this is qu actually quite a hard question. I know there are some blended families, and everything just flows, and it's wonderful, and that's absolutely awesome. Our story has not been like that. We have definitely had highs, and we've definitely had quite a few lows with it as well so I mean I guess through it though it's brought me closer to God because I've had to pray and I've had to rely on him for some of the stuff that we've been through I mean the highs definitely when the kids are getting on together and you haven't forced it and you walk into the room and they're like playing together or they're just being kind to each other you're like yes we did something we were it's working and the next day it might turn to custard again so you're back on the low um, but that is the reality of a blended family you don't you need to go into it with your eyes wide open um, because yes there's lots to celebrate obviously I gained two more children Matt brought the two younger children into our relationship Lucas was three when we met and Hannah must have been seven, six, seven. And then I had the two older, Ethan and Ella, and they were, I think, 12 and 14 at that point. So I brought the older, he brought the younger, and we had to figure out how to make this work. And the, there's definitely, like I said, been good times, family holidays, you know, things to celebrate. But there's other aspects to a blended family that you can't control, like the ex-partners and their families, and that definitely brings the lows with it as well. But yeah, you just have to push into God because it's the only way you're going to get through it. And hold on to each other. Remember why you got married. Like, like I said, go into it with eyes wide open. Don't expect this fairy tale because that does happen for some people. Like when we got married, we obviously have both been divorced, and then we chose to get married again. And we said, this time we're doing it. It's for life. We know what we're, what's gone on in our past relationships. We know we're bringing four children into this but we're a package deal. Matt was a package deal with his younger children. I was a package deal with my older children. And you have to go into it determined to make that work. And that's it, eh? Sometimes it's, um, you've got to remember that, you know, kids grow up and they'll move on and have their own lives. So you've got to make sure that the two of you have something in common. You know, it's not about the children because when they leave, what is it about? So, yeah. 
If so. you're focused on just the children and like you do your kids, I'll do my kids, that's not blended. That's you being in a relationship with him doing his kids, me doing my kids. If you want to make it work, it is hard work, but it can be very rewarding as well. But the biggest I would, uh, probably the biggest advice I would give to anybody is have boundaries. Boundaries are probably something that we didn't put in place early enough. Boundaries with the expectations for each other's children. Boundaries within your own marriage and definitely boundaries with ex-partners because they are ex for a reason and that, that does need to be considered. Oh, thank you so much for that, Michelle. That's amazing. Have you ever come across adversity in your lifetime? How, why, and what did you do about it? All right, Portal, let's start with you. That's me. Hey. <laughs> you gave me a microphone, uh, my friend. <laughs> I guess adversity. Uh, so I'm a black woman. <laughs> um, people can't tell whether I'm Maori or Pacific Islander, so I get all the works. I've got an Indian before, so amen to that. Um, Tibetan. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's been tough because... You know, it's all about colour, which is sad uh, for me. It's always been, because uh, I was a, uh, was a teen mum, got pregnant when I was a teenager, 16. Um, then I was a solo mum with three children. Um, then I was, I was married before aunts um, and then divorced. So I've been through all that um, because of the whole thing of comparing myself to what I should be and what the TV said I should look like. Trying to lose weight, trying to be skinny, trying to be white, because that's us in China. We try to be white. Um, apparently I'm Tibetan. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was hard. It was the adversities, the diversities, the everything. Like Marie said, just be you. You know, God called us to come just as we are. No matter what stage in life we're in, broken, happy. There is no such thing as perfect, but near perfect. He said, come just as you are. And for me, it took me ages. Um, it actually took me um, 2005, no, 2004, we found Hamilton Elam. Um, and it was one of the best oasises that I've ever been to, oasis, oasises, yeah, that I've ever found um, because it saved my life. You know, I've done the self-harm, tried to do suicide, drugs, alcohol, the works. You think of it, I've done it. I've aborted two children. I've called them ebony and ivory because I don't know what they were, but God's got them up there waiting for me to see them again. So technically, uh, nine children but seven that you can count, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that was hard, but I'm here to say God brought me this far and will never leave me, and it's the same with you guys as well. Man and woman, God is good. Mm. He's so good. <laughs> Thank you, Poro. It's interesting, the theme that's coming up, and it's judgment. You are saying how you're judged for colour. I can get judged for colour. You know, it's really, really interesting that we just judge, judge, judge. We presume, we make assumptions. And when you listen to these stories today, I'm the same. I've had, I'll tell more when I'm sharing my story at the end of the month, but I've been through divorce. 
I've had miscarriages, I've abused, I've been abused. You know, you can look at all of us women and go, and straight away we make a judgment. Oh, they've got it all together. They're at church because they're perfect. And that's not the case. And until we ask, until we open up, until we discuss these things openly and honestly, then we just don't know. And we'll just continue to make these. But we've been all been through different adversities, sometimes the same adversities. So I just think that being able to do this and talk openly like this and take down the masks. When I walked into Elam five years ago, I said to Matt, I don't think I'm really a church person, but I'll go along because we just got married and that's what he wanted to do. And Porto was speaking. So five years ago today, I walked into this place. Porto was sharing and she sat there and she was talking about taking off the veils that we have. And we, we put this perception out there that everything is perfect. There's no adversity. What adversity? And I sat and, and I remember being in the middle and I bawled my eyes out and I said to Matt, I can't do this every Sunday. This is, I felt like she was talking straight I to was me. that bad. <laughs> so, you know, mums, dads, male or female, we all go through these things. So is there any other ladies that would like to answer that question this morning? Yeah, yeah, I'd, I've always got something to say. <laughs> you know, adversity's going to happen. And um, whether that's, you know, whatever that looks like for you, it'll be big for you. And uh, I think, you know, I say to the kids, there's a choice, turn to God or turn away from God. And, um, you know, as a Christian, I mean, some of these things happen before we know God. But God's big enough. He's big enough to take our anger. He's big enough to take our grief. He's big enough to take everything that we can go through. And so, you know, turn to him. And it doesn't, you know, that circumstance won't change immediately. And some things change quickly and some things are a long walk. But um, who better to walk with? So for me, the, because I've been in a paid job and I've come from a really secure family, those things that are often other people's difficulties have not been mine. Mine have almost all been just in there. And they have been about compromise. So I have walked with God since I was 16. And I was brought up in a church, so I never, I just got closer. But my compromise is I wanted, I wanted someone to cuddle me in the night. I wanted children. And so every now and then, I would look around and I would chase somebody and God would shut a door. And, or an unsuitable person would be interested in me and I would think, is this worth it for having a family and having a husband? But the really good thing is, and, and on a regular rotation, about every five years, I would think about, no, this person is hot, and, and, but they don't know God, and and then I would throw myself at the person and God would just shut the door. So the most clear one was because, because I um, find it harder to trust, the people that I've found, uh, men that I've found attractive are usually a workmate because you see them day in, day out, and you see their heart for the kids. So quite often it's been workmates. The last five have all been workmates over a couple of different schools. And, and with the one time that I thought, no, I'm going to, and I went into that person's office, and they were not there, and it was just like, you know, it was just a really clear-cut door, and it was another occasion, um, uh, we have the school ball, and it was like, this other one, I'm, I'm going for that one that day, and I knew he didn't follow God, and he had gone to all the other balls, and he was not there that day, and so it was, God knew when I was really vulnerable, and he shut the doors, 
So good. Thank you. Poro, how has being a pastor and pastor's wife affected your relationship with other women? <laughs> She's never going to give me a microphone again. <laughs> I kind of got this question too, but I just forgot. Like, I just didn't think you were going to ask the question. Finish <laughs> on a high. Uh, okay, so... When I was an intern, I guess I'll start from there. Everything was, you know, I was, I was unseen. And then, um, you know, it was really cool because I was unseen. I, I mean, I was heard because I'm really loud. But I was unseen as in, like, no one really sort of, oh, hey. <laughs> and then we became uh, youth pastors and then assistant pastors, and then I got ordained in 2014, I think it was, um, and that's when things really changed. Other senior pastors and pastors' wives saw me for the first time, um, and it was really weird, because I thought, ah, oh. so I was, you know, I did the judging. I was like, why you want to know me now that I'm a pastor? Um, but it was because... I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't have the title. I don't know. I was just doing all the judging thing, like, in my head, just like Kathy said. Most of the time it was in my head. I was judging myself and assuming that people were talking about me, which is a good thing that we all do. We assume that people talk about us, but it's like one person. It's not a whole congregation or a whole workplace, you know, um, or school. It's just one person that you just don't like. Um, so, yeah, it, it, was, it was weird and hard, and having friends um, was, making friends was hard, because um, I found that going through life, or going through, because we've been senior pastors for five years, but pastors for, I don't know, decades, um, but <laughs> not really, but um, yeah, friends came and friends went. And it was hard because I tried, I wear my heart on my sleeve and I poured out, but then it was stomped over. And so I pulled in, put a wall up, and then it was um, a lady. We went to a, um, a Rise uh, Women's Passionate Conference and I oh, just, her head's gone, her name's gone out of my head. But she talked about... Um, having confetti, carrying confetti around with yourself because, you know, we're really good at having pity parties. So she said, what you do is you get your confetti out when you're feeling down and blue and you throw it over yourself and go, woohoo, I'm just having a pity party for myself. Um, and somehow you feel really awkward, really weird, but then you start laughing at yourself and God comes in, the Holy Spirit just refills you, replenishes you, and you feel good again. But she said to look at life like a parade. People will come in, just like those parades. First one comes, colored lights, you know, flashing, people dancing and all that. And woohoo, yes, that looks amazing. And they'll just come through and they'll keep going. And then and sometimes in those parades, the people will come. And those are the ones that are have the same vision as you, the same love that you have, the same passion, will get off those parade um, 
floats, and they'll stand next to you and start cheering beside you for the other people who are coming. So that's what helped me kind of look at life was it's a parade. It's an amazing parade. It's because it's filled with all sorts of emotions, roller coaster type sort of things. So, okay, we're going to get down to some nitty gritty, more personal, should I say. So, Lois McGregor, what were the difficulties bringing up children who were challenged with mental health issues? You took on that. Um. For those of you that uh, are unaware, we've got um, three daughters and a son. Um, once our eldest daughter, Curly, hit puberty around that 13 years of age, things didn't quite go well um, in the church with um, her youth group and different things. And if I'm really honest, I still don't know to this day what really transpired in church with the youth group but all I know is it, it has affected her uh, mentally um, physically our um, next daughter down Ashley um, she had a few uh, mental health issues as well while she was over in Australia and then little Miss Kimberly um, followed um, a few years later um, we had issues with all, well, all three of them, uh, Carolee and um, Kimberly, in particular with self-harm. Uh, Carolee went through a stage of her life when we would go out and we would never know what we were coming home to. Uh, so that was her at around 14, 15, 16 years old, where I think the quiet street that we moved into was not so quiet when we moved in. Um, police were up there, ambulances were up there. I think we even had the fire truck up there at some stage. Um, so Carolee attempted to commit suicide numerous times. Uh, the time spent um, up at the hospital with the triage, uh, the stigma that came with that, something that we didn't really speak about because, of course, you know, we're a good Christian family. You know, we go to church. Church families, um, if you're doing all the things right and you're praying and you're taking your children to church, then... Everything's honky-dory, everything's fine. You come to church with a nice smile on your face um, just after you've, you know, been up at the hospital for hours on end. Uh, Carly went through a, um, a girls' program at around, I think she was in her 20s by then, and um, she ended up going over to Australia not long after she um, got out of this home. Ashley also followed her. Um, phone calls in the middle of the night, phone calls first thing in the morning, mum, I can't get up, from their boyfriends at the time, Lois, Carly's here crying and crying and crying, Lois, Ashley's here, she won't get up. And when you're on the other end of a phone, thousands of kilometres away, 
with absolutely no power, and I'll be honest here, no empathy. When I did the, um, the scoring, when you do it to saying what your gifts are, empathy was a big fat zero. I didn't know how to cope with self-harm. I didn't know how to cope with depression. My motto is, get up, go for a run. Get up, do the hucks. Didn't we, Kim? <laughs> this morning. Um, you know, get up and do something, because I realized how important exercise was. So I'm a get up and go getter. Peter's always been a cyclist and gotten out and done things. So when I was on the other end of the phone, there was nothing I could do except literally yell down the phone, just put your feet on the ground, stand up, go and have a shower. You know, we're talking like this is like four, three, four o'clock in the morning. Um, I'll ring you back. And then by that time, I'd sort of get myself back together. Or I'd be doing the same old Christian thing. Just pray about it. You'll be fine. Well, they're not fine. So for those of you that see Peter and I now at this stage of our life, a well-to-do, middle-class, well-off couple, what you don't know is the 10 to 15 years of absolute heartache that we went through with our girls. And I know Kimberly's here, and to add um, her story, as you're finding, having a teenage mum, same, same. The stigma that I felt. But just pondering that, um, as you know, I'm a school teacher. Interesting, because now what I've come to understand more is God doesn't take you through anything you can't cope with. And what I want to share now is I've got a couple of girls in my own class right now with anxiety. And the empathy and the understanding I didn't have for my own family at that time thanks to them and what they went through, the children in my class are benefiting from the learning that I got wow. with my um, kids. Wow. wow. Staying, so staying along the lines of our um, mental health and stuff like that, Kimberly, um, in her bio again, um, yeah, it's just amazing. These guys wrote their own bio, sent it to me, and I put it on those sheets of paper so you can see what we're all about. Um, just a little glimpse of it. But um, can you share a little bit about uh, what is postnatal depression and how did you get through it? And I know you had um, anxiety, like mum said and stuff. You know, you care to share about that? Awesome. Uh, so I had Hazel, like I said before, 18. Um, I had suffered from depression and anxiety uh, since I turned 13. Um, like what mum said, there was self-harm, there was visits to the hospitals and all of that jazz. Um, and 
So when I found out that I was pregnant at such a young age, like I said before, like there wasn't many people who um, acknowledged that, especially my partner at the time, their parents. Um, it was really, really hard. They didn't want anything to do with it. Um, and then once she came along, you know, it was love at first sight. Everyone loved her. Um, and it just brought everyone together, which was awesome. Um, but I struggled mentally. Um, I remember going days without wanting to eat and mum making me protein shakes and trying to get me to gobble them down while I'm trying to breastfeed this crying baby. And um, it was tough. It was, it was super hard. Like postnatal is something that you don't think you would get and you think that you are strong enough to um, cope. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a human being. Like this tiny little human being is relying on you to give you all, like all of yourself. And like, I know it sounds harsh, but like, I was like, I don't wanna give you all of me, like where there's no space left for me. And so trying to love this baby who just cried and, and, and would make noises that I couldn't handle and it, there would be times that I'd be sitting there and I just wouldn't know what to do and I'd call mum and, and mum would have to come round and just fully take over and it's a dark time, like you just, I can't actually even tell you how I got through it. Um, it's just, you don't wanna get up and you don't wanna get up in the morning to like mum said. Um, but you want to love this child. And there's many different, there's many different um, types of postnatal depression. Um, I came through with mine by finding fitness um, and I left my partner at the time because we didn't have a very healthy relationship. So I, I left him and then that was when I decided that I needed to change my life around. And Hazel was just over a year old when I left, and that was when I started getting my mental health under control. And now I rely on fitness. I'm still, I'm still, I still take medication, but, and I knew with my second with Jimmy that I would get it as well. So that was another thing that was really hard was to, making the decision to have another baby because I knew that I got postnatal depression with Hazel, then I knew that it would happen with Jimmy, and it did, And but this time round, um, I had a really supportive partner who I'm now engaged to, um, and so he helped, he helped heaps, you know, I had the whole family there, um, and so, you know, like, it's, it's, it's kind of like you get, with Hazel, I didn't have the support and I still got postnatal. But with Jimmy, I did have the support, but I still got postnatal. So you don't actually, you don't get to choose. Mm. But um, my advice is to just stay strong and And this is what it's about. This is 
what we wanted to share was everyone's going through something. We are putting on the mask, the veil, the coats to hide everything. But this church is about being real. Mm. This church is about, yeah, there's more to us than what you see. You know, don't judge us just by what you see. Because, yeah, like Lois said, you know, you see the glamour, which she is glamorous. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. She's amazing. But, like, there's more to her. There's more to you. And this is what this was about, was to bring you the realness of motherhood, fatherhood, you know, parenthood, everything. Um, Thank you so much, Kimberly, because I I know it was a hard thing for her to do, and but it was something that somebody we know or someone ourselves are going through. Mental health is not something to just, you think, oh, yeah, no, it's all good. I don't have to tell anybody. We're here for you. You're here for us. We're better together, and that was what this was about, to keep it real. So, yeah, thank you so much. And I think, as Kimberly said, talk. Talk to each other. Talk to someone you trust. You know, we've got a whole room full of people. There is someone in here that has been broken just like you. But they've been broken like you to help you. Or you've been broken to help someone else. That's why God takes us through these things. We're not perfect. He doesn't want us to be perfect. He's perfect. So we just want to really thank all of you ladies this morning for being real and for being raw and for being vulnerable. You know, whether that's not having children on Mother's Day, whether that's thinking you're never going to homeschool with that many children, and it's hard, you know, and, and not feeling like you said this morning, not feeling like a working mum sometimes because there's stigma about being a working mum and there's been stigma about being a mum who stays at home. You know, Kimberly, for being so real about mental health and Lois, you know, you mentioned about we, we look at people and we think, oh, they've got it all together, nice house, oh, they've got a car, they've got jobs, but that's not who we are. This is who we are. It's who you are because everybody has a story. So we want to thank you, ladies.